I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 15. We'll pick on the Apostle Paul again today, since he's not here to defend himself. He's, if he ever hears all this stuff that I say about him, he's going to have a one or word with me when I get to heaven. Um, in, in verse 22, he starts a section talking about the plan that he has to go and visit Rome. Sorry, Esther. Uh, did I tell you Romans chapter 15? 22 onwards. Now, when I was in Bible college a long time ago, you know, you're teaching Rome. You know, I taught Romans, and then I was a, before that student here in Romans. And we used to have many a time talking about the, the, the mistake that the apostle, the apostle Paul made. He made mistakes, okay? Um, and you can talk about his mistakes, the mistake that he had when he had a fallout with Timothy, the mistake that he had when in this passage of Scripture he says he's, he's going to Spain. And so the question was, did Paul make mistakes? I think it was a, always a stupid question because what you expected, he wouldn't make mistakes. He's not Jesus, for goodness sake. But I like the way the Apostle Paul approaches this. Because listen to what he says to them. He says in verse 23, but, but now, no longer having a place in these parts, uh, I have a great desire these many years to come to you in Rome. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey to Spain yeah? and to be helped on my way there to Spain by you. If first, before going to Spain, I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem. Uh-oh. He had a plan, right? It, it was clearly set out. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to do my stuff there. Then, if I can, uh, I'm going to come through Rome, on my way to Spain. His focus, his goal, was Spain. And he never got there. Now, we've tried to manipulate history as if the Apostle Paul had to be somehow infallible. Uh, and, and I've read many things. Oh, well, actually he did, but uh, it wasn't recorded in the Scripture. And after he was let out of prison, he went to Spain. Look, rubbish. He never got there. Okay, he never got there. Now, other times where Paul seems to have made a bit of a mistake, he says, I tried to come, but the Spirit wouldn't let me. The Spirit bade me, no. And I tried to go, but the enemy stood in my way. But this time, he just ignores it. Okay, he never refers to it. He says, I was coming via Spain. Then later on, when you read all of his books, and there he is in Rome, he doesn't say, not once does the Apostle Paul says, well, flip, you know, I was on my way to Spain. I got sidetracked, and I'm stuck here in Rome. I want to go to Spain. He dropped the whole idea. He dropped it. I thought a lot about that. I thought about the many times in my life and ministry where I've known exactly what I wanted to do. And I've never done it. Do you remember when, you know, I mean, sometimes we have to go back an awful long way, sometimes not so long, but we continue to do it. I mean, we, we think about, we have a plan for the future. Oh, you know, when I'm in the next... 30 years, I'm going to do this. The next 20 years, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to. And then you realize you didn't do it. You didn't do it. So what, what I think is that we all have these things, these aspirations, these visions, these desires in our life. We're absolutely convinced that this is the will of God for us. That's called plan A. 
But unfortunately, all of us experience the fact that plan A is usually almost always never achieved. That all of us are living at a plan B level. And we're constantly adjusting what we think is what we need to do, where we think we need to be, where we think we need to go. That's always adjusting in our life. And those adjustments, small and great, has moved us a long way from our original plan A's. Original plan A's usually don't have a, a lot, you know, in common with where we are today. See, God had a plan A. It was Rome. Paul had a plan A. It was Spain. And Rome was plan B on the way. And, and the thing about, I think, we have to see is that the, poor, the plan of Paul failed, but the purpose of God was fulfilled. And, and in our life, I, I think what we have to do is shift away from achieving my goals to fulfilling God's will. And we, the younger you are, the more you tend to think there is no difference in those things. And experience begins to teach you that actually the will of God and what you desire to achieve can be quite distinctly different. You never realized it. We need to yield to the fact that God has a method. And that method is that we keep our eye focused on the goal and we're not obsessed with the pathway. Because we, we want the pathway. See, we want to say, I want to go from, I want to go to Jerusalem, I want to go to Rome, I want to go to Spain. That's a pathway, yeah? Whereas that path was completely trashed, but he got to the goal. God's goal was, was Rome. He got there. And I think we beat ourselves up because we find ourselves where God wants us to be, but we never got there on the path we thought was the correct path. Stop it. You're there. You arrived. Does it matter if you arrived there via a different pathway? No. Because I want to tell you now, the path that you thought you would travel was your path. The path you traveled was the path God gave you. God's path is never, never fails. Yeah? So he had a plan A. God brought about plan B. We are probably on plan B. E, F, G, H, I, G. I think I've just gone through the alphabet a couple of times, actually. So when we're on plan B, we sometimes think that we're second best, that it's not ideal, that we're a failure, that we've made lots of mistakes along the way. Paul never did that. He just accepted it. Well, here I am. Here I am. Who cares how I got here, buddy? I'm in the will of God when I arrive. And I didn't get here on the path I thought, but that wasn't a mistake. That's just the way it unfolds, isn't it? Listen to what Proverbs says. You know this. Proverbs 19.21. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. You hear what he just said? You have many plans, but it doesn't matter. What I want is the thing that's going to happen. And we, we spend a lot of effort trying to persuade God about our plans. And I've heard a lot of rubbish about this over time, about having faith and quoting scriptures and fasting and marching and dancing and shouting and waving banners and having smoke and all sorts of stuff. I want to tell you right now, God's plan will not change and you will fulfill it. Okay. You remember what he says, I have begun a good work in you. I say, excuse me, when did you ask me about that? You didn't ask. You didn't ask. You didn't say, uh, excuse me, can I begin a good work in you? He says, I have already started. What? You're, yeah. When did that start? Oh, I started a long time ago. I just didn't tell you about it. I've already begun a good work in you. And 
I'll finish it. But I don't want you to. He's not asking permission. And, and, the, and the plan of God for your life, hey, I want to tell you, it's too late. It's already started. The clock's been ticking for a long time. And moving you towards God's ultimate plan. And where you are is part of that. It says in Proverbs 16:9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his path. How many times can you say that happened to me? I had the plan, I had it on the wall. I had the graph, I had the picture, I had the diagram, mate. I had the budget, I had it all there. And, and God trashed a lot of it and directs my steps. You notice the difference between, it says here, it says that a man's heart plans his way, but God directs the step. Isn't that? We plan the whole pathway, right for, from go to woe. Like we, we, don't, we don't take the first step until all the lights are green all the way along the way, right? And what God says is, listen, buddy, forget your plan. This is the next step. Tell me what's at the end. It's silent. He doesn't tell you what's at the end. He doesn't tell you what's halfway. He just says, your responsibility is the next step. And that's why we think we're going that way. And then God actually says, this way. I want to go that way. I want to go that way. And we don't go that way. It takes us a while to adjust before we bury the dream, put flowers on it, and put it in the ground, rest in peace. But then we have the habit of creating another one. And we write that off as a failure. That's a failure. So let's create another one. That can be a success. And so we have a graveyard that's littered with all these lost plans and pathways and everything else. And we keep visiting them every now and again, put flowers on them and remember how good they would have been if only that could have happened. But brother so-and-so got in the way, that flipping church, a bunch of mongrels, they wouldn't do it. And those people over there, and then the national executive, the idiots, and they would do all of that. And we go, so we had to put it to rest and we go back and we cry over all these graves of all these dead dreams. In actual fact, you know, all you're doing is getting it one step at a time. You don't have to grieve over that. You have to rejoice over where you are. Because you're in the path of God. Now, I'm saying you're in the path of God. Unless you knowingly now are living in disobedience and sin. If you are, you come forward right now, we'll fix it up for you. But if you're not, then you are living in where God has directed you. Through all sorts of circumstances. You know, because we, we want to hear the heavenly voice. And we want to feel the Holy Spirit. But most of the time, you and I know it's a nudge here and a push there and a stop here and a turn around and go back and a frustrating moment. But, you know, that's the way we discover the path that God wants us to be treading towards the right goal. Because you'll never figure out the path. It's too complicated and scary. You remember when Israel, just let me digress for a moment. When Israel come out of Egypt, God took them up the top, oh, you know, and, and, and he, he showed them the promised land in front of them. There it is, the promised land. Wow, that's where you're going. Come on, guys. They could get there in a couple of weeks. And he said, turn around. And he led them into the wilderness. Now, you think of that. There it is. Now, go this way. I want to go that way. Why do I have to go this way? Because, like Joseph, who received a dream, 
And his dream was pretty clear, very, very simple. You are going to bow down before me. Okay? He saw the goal, but he didn't understand. See, he thought that was going to be achieved by him, and he was going to be the great one. But he turned around from that, and he went into slavery and into imprisonment and humiliation. Because when eventually he remembered his dream and his brothers did bow down before him, now he was a mature person. He was a responsible individual. He understood the responsibility he never saw in the dream. The dream wasn't about the glory of Joseph. The dream was about the responsibility Joseph had for his brothers and how he had to provide a haven for them. He wasn't ready for it when he was a kid. And though we might think the goal is easy to achieve, it's, it's not that. It's the process. The path is the process. And that's why we can never figure it out because we, we are linear people. We think the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And that's the way we want to do it. It's simple, brother. First you build this, then you put that on it, then you do this, then you do that, then you do this. And that's the way we think. And, and God says, that is just junk. It doesn't work like that with people. Like us. God anointed David, made him a king. Prophet walked out the room, left the oil dripping all over him. Did he become king? Not for a long time. That shepherd boy had to grow up. He had a lot to learn. Isn't that right? And so very often, see, we, we can never, never really commit yourself to your path because it's a path of ignorance. Isn't that right? We need to understand that God is at work and he doesn't fail. But we will not predict the trajectory and path of life that we are going on. Yeah? But the goal we can be sure of. Amen? He's going to bring you to the goal. But by plan B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever. For I know the plans. Remember? For I know the plans I have for you, Jeremiah 29, 11. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. But they're his plans and he doesn't share them with you. Isn't that right? I have a plan. What is it? Mind your own business. It is my business. It's not your business. Your business is the next step. Isn't that right? I got the plan. Show it to me. No. Why? Because they'll frighten the life out of you if I showed it to you. And that's why God said, he said to Israel, he says, I'm not leading you that way because if you saw what's there, you would be afraid. And so he had, a, he had to create a nation, create an army, create a people with a certain resilience and maturity and, and create a people with a set of values. In this, and he had to create leadership of a certain degree in order for them to enter that promised land. And that 40, 40 years in the wilderness, yes, it could have been shorter. That 40 years was the, just the necessary process to prepare them. As Joseph's life was a necessary, as David's life was a necessary, as Jacob's life was a necessary thing towards the goal. And you see it so often all over Scripture that none of us are on what we thought was plan A. But God is not the God of plan A. Hmm? He's the God of plan B, C, D, and E, and F, and G that's leading you towards where he wanted you to be in the first place. Yeah? Our, we could talk a lot about this, you know, about the fact that uh, God's plan is the only one that really matters and it takes personal sacrifice to give up your other one. How many times we fight with God to get our own way and you can't win that fight. 
It's impossible. God is unrelenting. And how can I say it? He's a... Oh, I don't know about you. I find God just gets on my nerves sometimes. Doesn't even talk to you. Doesn't even answer you. He just ignores you. You know, it's like... And, I, and I, I was in a supermarket recently, and I thought, you know, yeah, that's the way it goes. And I see this kid saying, I want a name, I want a name, I want a name. And the parents are just. And, and I, I've been there, you know. Do you want to have a fight with this kid? You know it's not going to end well for anybody. Because you're not going to give in, and the kid's going to persist with it. So you just sort of say nothing. And then your issue is, will you just shut up? Well, you're not getting it. Huh? And I think. I wonder, you know, so many times I've been the kid in the supermarket. I won't wear a name. And God ignores me and just says, will you just shut up? You know, because there is a great plan at work. It's fantastic. I'm really pleased where the plan of God brought me today, but I never, ever dreamt that I would be where I am now. Never thought of it. And you are where God wants you to be. Even if it's been a bit of a surprise to you. And even if it wasn't your plan A. See, our plan A is based on what we want and what we knew at that time. But God's plan is on what he already knew and what he knows and what is always knowable to God. Hmm? What we have to do, as we said, is keep moving. Keep taking the next step, then the next step, and the next step. I think sometimes as leaders, you see, our people ask us ridiculous questions. Like, where are we going? And you know you don't know. So you accommodate them and you invent something. Because they don't want to know that you don't know because that's bad leadership. Bad leadership's got to have a vision, right? So you make one for them. You should know that's rubbish. But you don't have an option. It's said of Abraham, he went out not knowing where he was going. That best describes my entire ministry life. But do I have a vision for the church? Yes! But be careful of that vision. Me let the vision describe the goal, never the pathway. That's where pastors make a mistake. The path, they describe the pathway. This time next year, we're going to have. And in two years' time, we're going to. Oh, buddy, you set yourself up for failure. Huh? Almost never do those things come about. But when you set the, the goal, we are going to be a church that is compassionate, caring, accepting we're going to be a church that engages with our community loves people disciples people we're going to, when you start describing vision that way then you will achieve it and people will work with you and work towards that and you'll get there but when you start describing the path you're in serious trouble because you don't have a clue so i had a pastor come to me recently and he was he was Invited to go and talk to the board of a church, you see, because uh, they were looking for a pastor and they had a few candidates. And uh, they asked him to come along. And they asked him to come and share with them what his vision for the church was. And he said, so I've got some ideas. What do you think? I said, tell him no. Tell him you don't have a vision for the church. So if I say I don't have a vision for the church, they won't employ me. I said, no, they will. You'll be their best candidate if you tell them what I say. I tell you to say. And this is what I told him to say. And he got the job. Tell him, no, I don't have a vision for your church, and you really don't want me to have a vision for your church because I haven't even been to your church. 
So I have a vision for your church before I arrive, before I know you, before I understand you, before I know this community, before you and I establish a relationship, it'll be me imposing my vision upon you, which will not be good for you, nor will it be good for me. Why don't you let me come, minister to you, love you, walk with you, know this town, know this community, get to know these people, and we become friends. And then after a while, we'll sit down and talk about what is our vision for this church, not mine. You don't want my vision for your church. You want our vision for this house. They gave him the job straight away. Poof. You're the man. See, because churches have been told these stupid things. They listen to it in conferences or read it in books. I've got a vision for this church. We shouldn't have. Stop it. It's irresponsible of you. Stop it. Stop it. Why don't you sit down and talk to people? Get to know people, know the community. What's the point of me having a vision for your community? And I'm in Melbourne, and I'm coming to you, and I've got a vision already. I wouldn't have a flipping clue. It's the best way to make dreadful mistakes. And I live with this all the time, with missionaries who go into a place with a vision, and, and, uh, and they wonder why they can't get anybody to help them, and they wonder why nothing's happened. Then they quit, and they leave, and the people in the community come to us and say, Phew, thank God they're gone. Uh, <clears throat> why? They had a vision. That's the worst thing you can do. Sit, talk, know, understand, learn, and together. Isn't that right? Together. When Matt Hines came over to take over the church after me, I said, Matt, there's, there's three words I don't want you to mention to the leadership of the church. I, or four, I have a vision. Not until you've been here 12 months. Oh, he said, oh, thank God, he said. I've been worrying about it, staying up at night. What will I say? He said, nobody will ask you that question. If they do talk to me, I'll talk to them. We don't actually want to know what your vision is because in all probability, it's likely to be very bad and wrong. Huh? And that's where a lot of fallout happens in church. A lot of conflict occurs. New pastors come in with a fresh vision, which actually is rubbish because they never talk to anybody. Same thing happens when you get pastors who want to impose a culture upon a church. It's, it's the modern thing these days. I'm going to change the church's culture. Wait a minute, buddy. Wait a minute. You set yourself up for pain and suffering because this church already has a culture before you got there. And do you know what it is? And if you don't, then why are you going to impose something else? Maybe their culture is actually better than the one you're going to bring. Why don't you spend a year and find out and live in it and see if it's okay or not? And then, why don't you adapt it? Yeah? Why don't you adapt it? We're going to change the DNA of a church. You can't change DNA. I tried that with my own children. I tried it. I tried it. I saw all the faults in their mother, and I tried to eradicate them from the children, and not one of those faults were removed. I'm sure she was trying to do the same thing with me and probably had a bigger, bigger job at it. But you know, and we can't, this business about changing DNA is, excuse me, it's a load of horse manure. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. Get, get, get sensible here. Now, I understand what they mean. Yeah, there's the culture of the church and the way things are doing, the values and system. That's fine. Okay. But when you change the values, change them to biblical values. Now, hang on. Like, I, the first time I took over, Danny Long, I sat down with the board, you know, and I, I, there was a bit of conflict there. And I sat down with them and I said, look, it's the first board meeting we're going to have. We're going to set some rules for the board meeting, okay? One, we respect each other. Now, come on, you can't say no to that. It's 
Yeah, okay. We're going to respect each other, okay? Uh, and two, um, we're not going to let anger enter this room. Anger is not a Christian, you know, emotion. Nothing ever good comes out of anger. You agree with that? Yeah, okay. Confidentiality. We're not going to disclose. We're going to keep confidentiality with each other. Yeah, okay. We're going to work together for common purpose, yeah? Okay, so I went through all these things with him. I said, the ultimate bottom line is we're going to conduct our businesses in this church as Christian men and women, and if you can't do it as a Christian, then I want you to resign. And they looked at me. I said, but I'm sure we can do this as Christians. We don't have to fall out. We don't have to be divided. We don't have to fight. We don't have to shout. We don't have to get angry. Hmm? And, I, and I led that thing for 35 years, and we never had a board division. If anybody start to raise their voice, they'd say, hey, hey, Christians. Christians, Christians, yeah? And I, I, see, when I'm doing that, yeah, am I changing the culture of a church? You bet I am, but they're biblical things. I'm not just bringing in stuff, stuff. This is where they all ought to have been in the first place. I had a guy say to me in church, he said one day, he was a troublesome man. He had always been there, and I was in my first 12 months of the church, and, you know, you had church like this, and people standing around talking, and a guy went out and switched all the lights off at the end, so we're all in the dark. And we didn't have windows in the place like this, so it went pitch black. Now, that's an occupational health and safety thing, as well as being plainly stupid. Because he wanted to go home, and it was his responsibility that Sunday on the roster to close the building. So he wanted to leave. We had a lot of people talking. So I went out and said, who turned the lights off? Me. Turn them back on again. Why? I said so. And he put the lights on. He came up to me, and he started to go, what the... I, waited. I said, are you finished now? Yeah. I said, you ever talk to me about that again? I'm going to walk you out the door and you'll never come back. He said, you need to accept me as I am. I said, no, I don't and I never will. Which is the mistake of every pastor you've ever had by accepting you the way you are, buddy. You need to change. You are not good the way you are. My responsibility as a pastor is not to accept you where you are, but to help you become something better. He just looked at me open mouth. I said, now the next time you're gone. He never did it again. <laughs> he changed. But if I'd accepted him as he was, he would have done that every Sunday. Yeah? Now, you say, well, you're a mongrel, Davies, talking to him like that. No, I don't talk to everybody like that. Some people just deserve it. That's all. That's all. He had to change, didn't he? I don't know how I got onto that, but anyway, it's a sidetracks all over the place. Anyway, so I'm out of time. We are all on plan B, but that doesn't mean any of us have failed, okay? You've faithfully followed, even unwillingly at times, the will of God, which sometimes was pleasant and sometimes was painful to you at the time. But you are where you are, and we have to have a lot of faith in God here. I have a plan for you, he says, a plan that's good. And I frequently sit down and say, I don't know how, how the heck did I ever get here? I don't know. What did I do wrong? Where did I take a wrong turn? What did I, and you, but you know, you have to just simply say, I trust you. In the darkest hour of my life so far in my life and ministry, four o'clock in the morning, dark, cold Melbourne morning, I was up crying 
a lot of pain, a lot of confusion, not getting any answers. And I'm pleading with God. And he said, you don't trust me. I said, I do. I do. And then the scripture came. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. But the problem is, Alan, you don't trust me, son. I do. No. And listen to what I felt God say to me. You trust me for what you want me to do. You trust me for something. But you don't just trust me without there being a tag of something on it. I trust you for help. I trust you for money. I trust you for provision. I trust you for blessing. I'm trusting you for healing. I'm trusting you. He said, but you don't just take all that stuff off and just simply say, no matter what, I'm trusting you. No matter what the next outcome is, I trust you. It radically changed me. Because the main issue is not trusting for, but trusting, period. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. For what? Just trust him. So that whatever happens next, you say, well, Lord, I don't like it, but I trust you. I don't want it, but I trust you. I trust you. I trust you that this thing I'm going through right now, which I don't want, don't like, and wish never happened to me, but I'm trusting that you know what you're doing and that this is going to be good for me. I'm trusting you. It's a trust issue, isn't it? And I think where we are right now, that's where we've got to come to. God, I trust you. I didn't come here because I made mistakes. I'm not where I am right now because of all the stuff-ups I've made. All right? I'm here right now because this is where you want me to be. I have absolute conviction in that. Absolute conviction. Yes, I've buried many dreams, but I have not had any failure. You have not had any failure. You are where you are because the Lord has directed your path and not honored your plan. But you are on his path in his will. Amen? That's what Paul was saying when he was in, in prison. So he didn't talk about mistakes. He says, Paul, a prisoner of the Romans. No, of Jesus Christ. Because he's saying, look, forget that rubbish. Um, it's not a mistake. I just got it wrong with my silliness, but I am where God wants me to be. Most important thing. Amen? So, Lord, thank you that through various circumstances and situations, you guide us and you shape us and you bring us to where we are today. We thank you, Lord, that we are where we are today, not as a product of our mistakes, not as an outcome of our wisdom or our foolishness, but we are where we are because you put us here according to your plan and purpose for our life. And what's happening in our life right now, though we may not like some of those things and may not appreciate them, Father, Lord, they are there because for a purpose, to form us, to shape us, to fashion us, to mature us. And they are the things that you want us to endure and overcome in order to do your will. We submit ourselves to you. You have begun a good work. Complete it, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, let me finish by saying this. The most important thing for you in your ministry in the church actually is not what you do for the church. It's who you are and who you become. We tend to think that we measure 
we measure our success in the church by the things we have done. They are all important and must be done. But actually, the greatest thing you bring to your church is you. You are actually the gift of God to that church. When God gave gifts to his church, he gave some apostles, some prophets. When God gave gifts to his church, he gave pastors. And he must love them because he gave an awful lot more pastors than apostles. An awful lot more. And you don't want to be an apostle, you want to be a pastor. And we don't want an apostle, we want pastors. Your church doesn't need an apostle, you're the necessary one. You will arrive by the will of God to be what God wants you to be, that gift to your church. Amen. Thank you.